0: Well, good morning, and welcome again as we gather to hear God's word in this strange world of YouTube right now. I must admit, the things I miss most when I get to preach like this are the encouraging responses of "Amen's" and "Alleluias." I'm hoping you're still going to be doing those at home. You'll just have to shout a bit louder, or maybe send me a, a really kind email. I have Andy here with me as well. Maybe he'll shout a few out if I pay him enough. You may be wondering why we're doing a preaching series about encounters smack bang in the middle of a lockdown. Well, sorry about that. This series has already been planned in before the coronavirus had put many of us into isolation. And we did look at it and wonder whether it was going to be a helpful subject to teach into at this time. But then we thought, actually, what better time than now? What better time than when life has, for most of us, been turned upside down a bit? Where many of us are, are feeling a bit unsettled and uncertain? What better time than perhaps now for God to grab our attention and meet powerfully with us? It can often be when uh, we're forced to stop and allow a bit of quiet into our lives that we get to hear his voice with greater clarity and volume. But it's also often the way with God that when our lives are most vulnerable, when our normal routines and safeguards are somehow under threat, the deepest experiences with him can be found. In fact, we'll be able to see in this series that many, if not all, of the great stories of encounters with God will find men and women before him in their greatest need and at their most exposed. As we dip into the life of Elijah this morning, we will discover a great prophet, a mighty man of God, an awesome deliverer of his authority, but we will also find him at times taken down by very real human fears and responses, or discover that God did some of his finest work in Elijah when he encountered him at his greatest time of need. And the wonderful thing about being able to peer into the life of Elijah is that we will all hopefully get to recognise something of ourselves in both his strengths and his fragility. The life of Elijah is rich with encounters and it was very tempting for me to go for the big moments where God would use Elijah to demonstrate great power and might, where there would be copious amounts of consuming fire and I didn't feel God lead me particularly to the great finale in the sky as Elijah swept up to heaven in a whirlwind. They were, they were, of course, great encounters, but not what I felt God wanted to particularly speak into this morning. I'd like instead to look at the more intimate moments of encounter, where God meets Elijah in a place of rest, where he restores him, he refuels him and prepares him to go again. So we're going to be reading this morning from 1 Kings 17, 1-7. to And then a little later on in chapter 19, verse 5 to 8, if you'd like to find those in your Bibles. I'm reading from the ESV. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from, the, from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And he went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. I think it's safe to say that God is supreme at all things. I'm hoping many of us listening in right now will agree with that. I think it's right to say that if God is, has supremacy over all things, then it's uh, logical to assume that God is supreme at all things and at all times. And what we get in this passage is a wonderful example of God's exercising his supremacy over two of the finest attributes, that of supreme provision and supreme preparation. Elijah is a bit of a mystery man. All we know of him before he appears in the book of 1 Kings is that he's from Tishbe, And it's as if he seems to appear from nowhere, this fully formed prophet of God, who before he even gets a chance to unpack, is needing to deliver a full-blown judgment prophecy on the nation of Israel. Along with their tyrant king Ahab, Israel has slipped once more back into the idolatrous worship of Baal. And God, through Elijah, passes judgment. Such is the level of anointing on Elijah that God even allows him to prophesy in the first person. Not a bead of dew will form on a blade of grass until I tell it to. God is truly trusting Elijah here with his voice. He's happy for Elijah to represent him at the highest level. This is free-flowing authority from God using this vessel of a man by pouring his authority into him, weighing him down with anointing because this nation belonged to God and he was jealous for it. Elijah's anointing for that moment will have needed to outweigh his humanity. His flesh will have almost had to give way in order for God to pass sentence through him. God's justice, Gets dispensed through the anointing of an extraordinary, ordinary man. As a result, Elijah will have now found himself ultra vulnerable to the wrath of Ahab. Let's not beat around the bush. This particular king was a borderline psychopath, and not to mention his pretty abominable wife Jezebel, who at the best of times was a real nasty piece of work. God knew the danger that Elijah was now in and almost immediately called him away to a place of safety. He would put Elijah on the front line and now it was time for the bunker. It was now time for Elijah to retreat back into the fortress of his God. This man had been obedient, he'd honoured God, he'd stood firm, he'd taken the weight. It was time for Elijah to be hidden and take rest in him. Depart from here and return eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. What a wonderful picture of a supreme God of provision. There's something almost maternal about the way God treats Elijah at this point. This might sound a little bit weird, but as I kept reading through this passage, I couldn't help picturing Elijah almost being invited back into the womb of God, as if God was demonstrating that this man is so precious to me, I'm hiding him away in a place of safety where I can feed him and prepare him and where he'll grow again. I imagine Elijah would have now been experiencing much of the same goodness from God as David did as he poured out his words in the Psalms. Psalm 91, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckle and you will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day. Elijah is hidden in the secret place, fed and sustained by the hand of a tender, loving God. He would have learned again how to be utterly dependent on the Lord's supreme provision and care. There will have no doubt been walks to the brook in the cool of the evening where he will have got familiar again with the voice of God speaking into his life. I often wonder if the subject of Mount Carmel gets brought up during these intimate moments. Arguably, God's greatest ask of Elijah is still to come, potentially his finest moment. Will God have been speaking in and readying this man for that? Elijah will have continually needed to know that he's alone with the God of the universe the creator of all things, who's holding all things together at all times. But still, in those moments, God's attention was fully on him. Have we ever stopped to think about that? That God's desire is to maybe do that with us? To turn his full attention on the likes of you and me and be totally consumed in what is going on in our lives. And at the same time, tending to the universe. Amazing. I wonder why we often struggle to get our heads around that concept. Maybe it's something to do with the fact that as a race, we're obsessed at times with preoccupation. Either with the fact that we are ourselves preoccupied or that others are annoyingly preoccupied. And that for some reason we seem to think we should apply this concept to the omnipresent nature of God. That somehow the word preoccupation should exist in his language too. When God invites us to take time away with him, it's an invitation at the highest level of exclusivity. It's premium, priority time set aside for our personal care under him. I wonder how often I must miss invitations like that. How hurt he must feel when I turn him down so thoughtlessly. Our preoccupation at times with our own lives must surely be one of the greatest disappointments in his. Maybe it's time for some of us to put that one right. Let's not just assume that encounters are limited to the big moments when God demonstrates his awesome power, reveals signs and wonders, that somehow they always need to be these jaw-dropping experiences that change the course of our lives forever. Or perhaps moments when we need to be dug out of a deepening crisis. And of course they can and are those things. But often God's only desire is to give us an encounter with Him that simply just involves no other motive than caring for our needs. Leading us to a place of rest, where only his goodness and mercy and provision are on the table. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, cries David. Now and again, I I ponder on that psalm, Psalm 23, and I particularly puzzle at times over the word follow. I often wonder if his goodness and mercy ends up following us because we seldom let these two gifts lead in our lives. Have you ever wondered that? Maybe it's just me. Perhaps the very least we can do though, is to take time to turn around and simply enjoy what's on offer. Maybe, like Elijah, we need to step aside at times and allow the goodness and kindness of God to go before us and prepare the way. If we're to read on further into chapter 18, it would become immediately obvious why God needs Elijah in this place of rest with him. He's going to need him to go again like never before because the next great anointing to come is going to be huge. And then I love this illustration of the brook drying up, marking the end of this particular season of God's provision, as if nudging Elijah towards the next part of his plan. I wonder how many of us have experienced similar ways in which God shifts things in our lives, often very practical things, in order for us to be encouraged to move on to the next place he wants us to be. God can often use change to help us with the direction and timing of life. Not always welcome, of course, I've definitely had my moments of resistance with that. But almost always change when Put in place by him is done for his purpose and always for our good. Let's not, let's learn not to fight too hard or for too long with him on that one. What's really noticeable about the pattern of Elijah's life is that it's threaded through with these very obvious strands of provision and preparation. God seems to be seamlessly weaving these together into his life, almost as if piecing together a fine garment. And we get to see this happen again. On his way to the big moment on Mount Carmel, God sends Elijah to the home of a widow. God again goes before Elijah, goodness and mercy leading the way. Food is already on the table. Food throughout the Bible is always such a strong reference to the provision of God. Waiting for Elijah was a, a bottomless jar of flour and an endless jug of oil. I love that. That's trademark supreme provision right there. How could that so easily have been just an ordinary jar and an ordinary jug. But no, they they have to be bottomless and endless. Don't you just love the God of detail and provision? And while he's there, the widow's son dies, and Elijah, this man who's spent time walking and talking and being cared for by the God of the universe, stretches himself out over the body of the boy cries out to God and breath returns back to the boy. This moment was surely made possible by the supernatural preparation of an ordinary man in order for him to be extraordinary. It's no surprise that uh, he got to do what he was able to do on Mount Carmel. Uh, And by the way, this camera only records for 30 minutes, so I'm going to leave you to read that account for yourself. That's your homework for this week. You will read, however, that in this account, Elijah does indeed secure a triumphal victory. He's instrumental in restoring the glory of God back among his people. False prophets are crushed and defeated, and Elijah gets to cry out to God for rain, and the rain finally falls. However, Elijah is now going to show us an example of what can happen if you're not careful sometimes with the backlash of anointing. This extraordinary man now finds himself falling back on his ordinary nature. Unbelievably, he forgets about the the valley and the brook and the evening walks, the bottomless jar and the endless jug, and how could he have already forgotten the eye-watering sights of Mount Carmel? Read it. You'll understand. Elijah, this great man of God, faced with the first threat on his life, incredibly takes off into the wilderness like a frightened rabbit. So what went wrong? One minute you're calling down fire from heaven, the next you're a quivering wreck of a man sat beneath a tree in the wilderness, wanting to die. What went wrong? What Elijah had done was stolen the lead away from a supreme provider. He'd gone on the run before God had had a chance to go before him. Goodness and mercy were left behind to follow on. The best thing Elijah did in all of this was to stop and give up. Elijah needed his sovereign Lord to catch up and take charge of his life again. This may well be a, a familiar place for some of you right now. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree, and behold, the, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, at uh, his head was a, a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose. And he ate and drank and went in the strength of that food. In amongst the storm of fear and panic that Elijah had found himself in, it took the gentle whisper of the Lord's voice to raise him up again. Elijah, what are you doing here? You're my extraordinary man for this time. Get up. Go. I have kings that you need to anoint in my name. Our lives need to be continually punctuated by moments just like this. We need to have our encounters with a love struck God who invites us to come away with him, to be hidden in the valley, be fed and watered by the brook, shaped and anointed as we give time to allow his voice to speak into our lives again, to call out the extraordinary from the ordinary. There's much more I could tell you about Elijah. I wish I had time. He was an extraordinary, ordinary man, and I'm so grateful for him. I'm so grateful that he showed me that I can fail terribly and still be asked by God to go again. How poor a scripture would have been if the frailty and infallibility of Elijah were to have been airbrushed from the pages of Kings. I'm so grateful that he shows me the deadly serious business of an extraordinary anointing and the courage and strength it demands from an ordinary man. I'm so thankful to this man of God, this great man of God for humbling himself enough before God to show me how to put my life daily into his hands. God's invitation to encounter him, lockdown or no lockdown, extends to you and me. In fact, there will never be a better time than now to allow his goodness and mercy to take hold of our lives again and feed us till we're full. Will there truly be a better time than now to allow him to shape us once more for greater things to come, to anoint us so that signs and wonders become an everyday expression of our lives. Let me encourage you to make every one of your encounters with him count. I'm gonna ask you to stand if you can, wherever you are. Why don't we just take a moment to receive? Holy Spirit, come. Can I just encourage you to open your hearts to his invitation this morning. Lord, invite us again to come and spend time at the brook, to be fed again from the fullness of your table. Lord, with your goodness and mercy be on the agenda for us today. And Lord, will our response be to offer our lives to you again as extraordinary, ordinary men, women and children for the glory of your name and your kingdom to come. Amen. Bless you all.